It is the Lockdown Bengals Podcast with your hosts, Joe Goodberry and Jake Lisko. Find us on Twitter at Joe Goodberry and at Jake underscore NFL. Please like, subscribe, and share as we try to grow this community and pump out daily Bengals content just for you. What up, Bengals fans, and welcome to another episode of the Locked On Bengals podcast. Today we talk about a proposal that comes from our hated rival, the Pittsburgh Steelers, as general manager Kevin Colbert has requested or suggested three additional rounds to make up for the unknown going on with the coronavirus and the scramble that usually happens after the draft to sign undrafted free agents. On top of that, we're going to talk about the Joe Burrow trade and speculation and what I'm going to call worry-free Wednesday. It was originally going to be worried Wednesday, but you really shouldn't worry until we have reason to think otherwise. Uh, Peter King a few days ago talked about a report that those within the Bengals really believe in Justin Herbert. So we'll talk about that along with an ESPN.com speculative piece today that was, what would it take? And the quote-unquote godfather offer that keeps getting thrown around that is just not a godfather offer. I think I'll, I'll vent a little bit about that later. And then Dame Brugler's the beast draft guide comes out today. And for the first time I actually went through and put together a horizontal board based on his draft guide. He gives out grades based on first round, first, second round, second round, second, third round, etc. So he kind of has one, one, eight, one B two, two B three, three B. So we'll go through that and look at the fringe guys that could be possibilities for the Bengals if you were to believe Dane's board. And that's a very detailed teaser for this show. But first, let's talk about this idea of going to a 10-round draft. Joe, the Bengals have often found gems in undrafted free agency, but I think that moving the draft to be 10 rounds might be beneficial to them just because they pick at the top of the round. And I feel like they're not the team that most guys think of, you know what, I really want to take my chance with the Bengals. Depends on the position, I think, more than just team prestige. Definitely more than regular free agency. But the Bengals probably don't get first pick all the time. Yeah, I would agree. And I think not only would they have the advantage here because they're picking first in in an extra three-round draft, uh, I think they have the advantage from the Senior Bowl and knowing those guys. And there's going to be a lot of undrafted players from the Senior Bowl, and the Bengals should have the most contact with them other than the the Detroit Lions. So I think that's the worry, right, for these teams around the league is they are going to get to the situation where they start contacting these undrafted guys, these priority free agents in the fifth round, sixth round, uh, they really start to reach out and get commitments from them in round six and seven sometimes. You're not really going to be able to do that this year because you're probably not going to feel as confident, number one. Number two, you're not going to be able to fly those guys out right away for physicals and, and contracts and signings because it's different than when you draft a guy. When you draft a guy, you have his rights for a year. But when the draft ends, those guys are free agents and you need to get them under contract if you really want a commitment from them. And this year and with the situation, it's going to be hard to do. So the Bengals would hypothetically pick at the top of each of these additional rounds 
Often, though, when you get to the sixth round, everybody is essentially a priority free agent for a lot of teams. Teams don't have 256 guys on their boards. Teams have boards full of draftable players. You heard Zach Taylor talk about this. If you listen to everything coming out for Bengals-related coverage, he said that they got their list of draftable players from Duke Tobin in January this year. The coaches got started a little bit early. That was a conversation with Jed Demusi. So what it really means is that there's a drafted order for the guys that teams really prioritize. It doesn't change a whole lot because once you're getting to the seventh round, you're not really counting on any of those guys to make an impact anyway. But you know what it does change, Joe, is it changes who Mr. Irrelevant is. It goes 96 picks later. You know, what also changes is trading and draft day trades. If you have a, a team like the Bengals with seven picks, and you want to move up in a, in a position, you really don't want to give away too many picks. But now, I mean, what's the value of round 8, 9, 10? It, that trade value chart gets extended a little bit. Does that increase the value of 5 and 6? Or does it just, you know what I'm saying? It does, is it all the same still and you just have these priority guys? It, it, I like your point about the board because if a team has 150 players on their board for draft day, I bet they have more than 150 for priority free agents because each team's going to sign at least 10. And we're talking about 300 players that are going to get signed after the draft. You need to be very deep and very well um, versed on all of them. And I think that's the scary part for a lot of teams right now. And it is a good thing, as you point out, for the Bengals, as we've talked about with the draft and with free agency for those draft prospects, to have that increased familiarity from the senior bowl. But if I was the NFL, I would actually make those picks untradeable. Because I wouldn't want a team to say, you know what, you can have all three of my extra picks. I want to move from the seventh round into the sixth round and and get an extra guy that I have a draftable grade on. I think that these picks should be set in stone if they do add them. Because I, I don't think that a team that has just, say, say the Patriots, for example, they already have so many picks. They're just going to somehow use, you know, we'll give you our eighth, ninth, and tenth rounders and one of our third rounders to move into the second. I don't, that's probably a bit too much, but you know what I mean? I think you get some really weird trade scenarios. I would just lock them down. One other really interesting thing in this article, though, which is from Manish Mehta of the New York Daily News, is that teams are actually currently allowed to interview up to one hour video conference interviews with prospects. And they can do an unlimited number of these. So I wonder if teams, maybe maybe the unfamiliarity is being a little bit overstated. One other thing. So, yeah, let's say they have those extra time with these guys via video chat. I think the real impact could be on next year's draft. Usually these guys, these scouts that are already done, are on to next year's prospects, starting to watch film, starting to go travel and meet with those um, colleges and those coaches and, and reps from those um, universities all over the country if they can't do that all the way into the summertime that's going to have an impact on the 2021 draft maybe just as big as 2020 i think as we start to look toward the future too far there get to be more and more questions but you see today a proposal from the mlb a way to try to start playing games in arizona with the players being isolated essentially in hotels I think the NFL is probably going to try to find a way to play games, even if it's for empty stadiums. I've said that before. I think that the TV money is just too much to pass up. And being able to plan in advance for that sort of thing, it'd really be a question of can you get the players on board for it, right? And the, the players union might not go for it. There's no real language, though, 
in the CBA for this sort of thing that would be a forced work stoppage. So maybe next time we have a CBA, they'll probably write something in for a global pandemic stopping football from happening. And we'll have a better idea of what's going to happen, what to expect. But if the college football season doesn't happen, which is less likely from what we've heard than the pro football season not happening, or more likely to not happen, I should say, then, you know, what happens to the draft, generally speaking, that gets really hard. But maybe, you know, there, there's not new information to process. So I, I just hope that, that all the football happens as as at least a, a partial season, because otherwise things get real crazy. Real quickly. Anyway, we have got some more crazy stuff to talk about, and it's a little bit less crazy. And we'll get back away from talking about the coronavirus. We try not to talk about it too much on this podcast just because i know a lot of you are probably listening to get away from that so we'll talk about something else absolutely insane that will drive you crazy instead and that's the continued chatter about the bengals trading back from their first overall pick and going after somebody like justin herbert we'll get into that in just a minute and we'll tell you why you shouldn't be worried worry-free wednesday as jake is coining this one i i like it and i think uh we can continue to do this for a couple more weeks as more reports. I don't even know if they're reports. There's reports. It's speculation. It's just fun, I think, from the other side. Maybe not from our perspective anymore, or maybe like the one percenters left in the fan base. But when reports that come out, and we, we've glossed over this very quickly the other day. I don't remember which episode. But when reports from Peter King come out that say there are some truthers, Justin Herbert truthers, in the Bengals organization that believe he is a franchise quarterback, uh, I think that sparks things again. And, and, you know, people start rolling with that a little bit. My take on that particular report, not the whole trade speculation, that report is that can be true. Someone asked me today, is this true or should I, you know, should I be freaking out? It can be true, but it doesn't mean you have to freak out because I think you can say another quarterback is a franchise guy and still say, but we want Joe Burrow because we think he's going to be special. Yeah, I think that's exactly what it is. There might be people within the organization, which is what the report said, that think Justin Herbert is a good quarterback, and they had contact with him at the Senior Bowl, and they've had nice things to say about him all along. None of that's new. But the the regurgitated headlines that come out of Peter King's report were the Bengals are true believers in Justin Herbert. That's not what the report said. It said that there are those within the organization so this is kind of the same thing we saw the first time that the national media, not even the national media, media generally are desperate for anything interesting right now as content is relatively dry, especially as free agency is essentially ground to an entire halt. Like there, have you, when's the last time you heard of a player getting signed? It's, it's been a while, right? I mean, after Von Bell, like there's been a couple guys and that's a it. couple guys. Yeah, I mean, we haven't seen Darquez Denard catch on anywhere. We've heard nothing about Drake Kirkpatrick. Those are guys that, if this was a regular free agency period, I think would probably be working out for teams at the very least or, or would be meeting with teams more likely, I think. So now that the first wave of free agency has happened, I think we might not see anybody sign until after the draft. We might see a few. But that aside... People are trying to make content right now, which is also what we're doing in this segment of the show is, you know what, let's talk about this Joe Burrow thing, because not only did Peter King talk about it, there was uh, in the Draft Network's 
you know, mock madness where they put eight different mock draft first rounds against each other and people vote on their favorite. They have one guy had the Bengals trade back. There's, who was it, Maurice Jones-Drew who said, you know, the Bengals need to trade back. Or no, the Bengals just didn't take. Yeah, Burrow. that wasn't even a trade, right? And they then just Burrow drafted Herbert. Fifth. So, so there's some nonsense out there. And, and then there's also today a column from Cameron Wolf at ESPN. This is a Dolphins counterpart to Ben Baby, who we've had on the show before, beat writer for the local ESPN football thing that, you know, Kat Terrell did it, Coley Harvey before her for Cincinnati. So it's that guy for Miami. And he says, here's the Godfather offer. And I've seen a few people use this term Godfather offer that the Bengals can't turn down is the idea, right? And, and this and this attempt at a godfather offer is only three first-round picks. Two this year, one next year, and maybe a couple second-round picks. And he's like, oh, the Bengals won't turn that down. And I'm sitting here like, look, I've said all along, if you want to make a trade offer that the Bengals will accept to pass on what some people say is the best quarterback prospect since Andrew Luck, your rebuild is going to explode. You're going to have no resources left except for money for the next three years. And that's why it's not worth it for Miami to trade up. And if Miami is going to give all that up, what are the Bengals doing? You know, there, there are those that say, oh, they can use that to go get Trevor Lawrence next year. You think the Bengals are going to win two games next year with right. all the spending they've done on the defensive side of the ball? You think they're preparing themselves to tank after spending a record amount of money in free agency? Get the fuck and, out then, of here. and then taking all those picks you get to trade back up yeah. to where you were. I mean, what? How does that get you anything? And, and I guess it gets a, you picks this year. I have a confession to make, though, Jake. I've never seen Godfather, so why is uh, what? What's the reference of a Godfather offer? It's just an offer you can't refuse. Oh, that's, that's, no! Then it's got to it be means. way more than that. Yeah, it means an offer you can't refuse. That's what it means. All right. Yeah, an offer I can't refuse. See, here's the thing for me: is I think Joe Burrow is special. So, if the, anytime you are considering any trade situation you have to put yourself in the shoes and the evaluation if you don't believe joe burrow is special take the trade back right if you think he is special and your guy and who you want to be the bengals quarterback how can you trade it how i mean how many picks is it if you think you're drafting andrew luck peyton manning whoever it is what top number one quarterback seven first round picks I, I can't even think of a number that I don't want to even be offered seven first round picks. I just want my good quarterback. Yeah. I mean, you can look at any other seven first round picks and compare them to the best quarterbacks in the league. We, we on this podcast believe Joe Burrow can be a special NFL quarterback. He, I think he hits the ground running. I think he's pretty good right away. So for you to convince me to not acquire Pat, Pat you know, I'm not, I'm not going to say Patrick Mahomes, but it's it's like that, right? It's you're mm-hmm. asking me to skip on a guy that I can I think can be a top of the NFL quarterback, a guy that'll keep me in contention as long as he's on my football team. You're gonna have to offer me something that is gonna cripple your franchise. Yeah, that's it. I want you to suffer for this offer. Uh, it's not that I want them to suffer; it's that they no, I will want them suffer. To. <laughs> yeah, yeah i want as, the offer to be so big sure that, right that you're like fuck now we don't have an offensive line or wide receivers or anything exactly so that's the thing is in order for miami to offer enough for the bengals to do this they're absolutely shooting the i would say foot but a foot isn't a big enough appendage for them to be shooting the dick 
maybe they're losing a leg in the process. Yeah. Not not what you said, Joe. Uh, I Google Godfather offer for you here. So okay. according to Investopedia, which is the top result on Google, a Godfather offer is an irrefutable takeover offer made to a target company by an acquiring company. Typically, the acquisition price's premium is extremely generous compared to the prevailing market price, which is what I think we're talking about here. Yeah, I like that. I like the phrase and in, in the definition there. But uh, takeover from a competing company? Fuck that. That's exactly what it is. That makes me not want to take the offer. I don't care how generous it is. Well, that, that, that's exactly it, right? Like, it's they're trying to take what we want. So the offer needs to be so far ahead of market value that Miami would never do it. And that's where the conversation ends to me. All the all the discussion about, you know, the Bengals have all these holes they need. So does Miami. Mm-hmm. Miami has just as many holes on their roster as the Bengals, if not more. They have a good secondary. They have two good corners. Uh, <laughs> Byron Jones Great. and Xavier Howard. They have, uh, they have one linebacker, Vince Beagle. Uh, Great. They got Ryan Fitzpatrick. So they have a solid backup there. They've got a couple good receivers. They have some, like, okay receivers. Dustin Williams and 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 Parker, yeah, Parker's good. He had a really he's good like he's he's fine. He took a big step this year. Yeah. The reason that people want this or, or seem to be thinking that Miami's a better fit is only because there's a better perception of Miami's coaching staff. There's this idea that Miami was so terrible last year, but they still won what four games, and Whatever so everyone's like, oh yeah, Miami, they must be not that you know the coaching staff's really good. Well, we don't really know about the Bengals coaching staff yet. That's, that's, I mean, I don't think we know about Miami's either. Nope, I think I'm all that it. shit's speculative. Yep. So the answer is don't worry on this Wednesday. Yeah, don't worry. Let's talk about Dane Brugler's horizontal board. We'll take a look at how many first round prospects he has. And then we'll take a look at the guys that are going to be available in that fringe area, that first, second round grade. We'll take a look at the second, third round grade as well for those third round targets because when you own the first pick in every round, Joe, you're looking for those guys with those slash grades. You're looking for the one C's and the two C's that fall into your 2A territory, 3A territory instead. I was told there'd be no math. This isn't math. These are these are words, my friend. We'll take a look at these rankings and some of the possibilities for the Bengals in part three of the show. Our buddy Dane Brugler over at The Athletic posted his beast of a draft guide and that's what they call it is the beast but uh because it's thick and it's big and it's girthy and it's very worth your time and pleasure so i tell you if you got an athletics uh membership subscription that's what it's called go there look for it download it because you will have a lot of fun that is the draft guide i use i used to get it at least six seven years ago before even before he was with the athletic but yeah me too what we want to you did, yeah, okay, great. And so we've been we've been doing that for a long time. Then Dane Brugler is the man. We want to go over his rankings though and his grades. When you give out a, a teams do this when you give out a, a when you assign a grade to a prospect, you say, well, he's a first rounder, second rounder, fringe guy, fringe first, second rounder, fringe second, third rounder. It gets all very stupid. But the idea of it is to get some targets or some ideas of who, at least if, if we're, if Dane's right on his rankings or if he reflects what other teams think, then let's get an idea of who's there at the top of round two. Let's get an idea of who's there at the top of round three. 
Man, I just opened the first Dane Brugler draft guide I ever ordered in 2013. That was not a good quarterbacks class. Look at this stuff. Geno Smith, Ryan Nassib, Matt Barkley, Tyler Wilson, Tyler Bray, Zach Dreisert was a third round quarterback that year. Hang on, go back up because there was one guy drafted in the first round that wasn't even in EJ the top Mando. five. Yeah, he's number yeah, eight. I know. Go Dane Brugler. You you were right. <laughs> and let's see the running backs that year: Eddie Lacy, Jonathan Franklin, and oh, I love Giovanni Franklin. Bernard. We were so excited about Giovanni Bernard. He has had a long and good career in terms of running back for one team. Oh yeah. I'm not. I'm not saying we were wrong. He also had DeAndre Hopkins as the first receiver that year, and Tavon Austin mm-hmm. second. Tavon Austin was picked ahead of DeAndre Hopkins, and I think everyone regrets that. He had Keenan Allen in that same yeah. group. Yeah. So you know, some some hits and some misses, as everyone Remember? does. This draft class generally is like very unimpressive. As I look through all the names here, outside of just a few stars. It's not, this wasn't a great class, if you remember. Um, it, it's kind of funny. When you're in the bubble of the class, it's hard to truly know if it's a strong class or a weak class. It's not until you come out of it much later. Tyler Eifert, Travis Kelsey, Zach Ertz, Jordan Reed, Vance McDonald. That is quite great. a crew <laughs> yeah. of uh, tight ends, though. So I guess, I guess there's at least that. And I guess there's always... Uh, a tight end with a name like Sternberger or Stoneburner. Or there's another yeah. guy this year. What's the guy this year? But there's I, another well, you, burger this year at tight end. Well, I think you're crazy, Jake. Where are you going with this? I don't know. Let's look at Dame Brugler's horizontal board that I put together today. So I went through his draft guide and I pulled out all his guys that he had first round grades on, first, second round grades on, second round grades on, and so on. And I color coded them in a horizontal board fashion here, Joe. You should send it to him. Send it to I'm, Dane? I'll send it to t- Dane. Take a picture and just send it to him on Twitter. It doesn't really fit in a picture. Mm. Is the thing because, you know, of the way it stacks, it goes down quite, you know, it's, it's pretty big. That's right. I could uh, figure something out, I guess. But what, what stood out to me here, Joe, is he has, I think, 15 true first-round grades this year. Yep. 17. He has 17 first-round grades, and he has another 19 first-second-round grades. And those 19 guys are all in the group that, if Dane Brugler's board is correct, at least at least five of those guys are going to be around when the Bengals pick. Yeah, I think we should expect at least five. And we're going to probably see, you know, because look at the second-round guys. There's a couple there I could see going in round one also. So let's go over these fringe first-round guys and see if we expect any of them to be there. And let's skip quarterback and halfback what do you say because it's a waste of time for us at this point um okay so start at wide receiver going on offense left to right here we've got brandon Ayuk, arizona state wide receiver and denzel mims baylor wide receiver i think both will be in that range and could go in round one and i would be okay with either one of them would really love denzel mims going to tackle josh jones houston austin jackson usc and ezra cleveland of boise state again I really like Josh Jones. I am intrigued by the upside of Ezra Cleveland. Everything analytically points to him being a future starter for a long time. And then Austin Jackson, at least if they took him, I'd be like, okay. But I have reservations about him. I would have him lower as in the second um, second round range. So what about for 
let's let's talk about that real quick. Austin Jackson versus Ezra Cleveland. What is the practical difference? Because I've seen people calling Ezra Cleveland soft, saying he doesn't look for work. And then for Austin Jackson, it's functional strength is a big mm-hmm. criticism. Are they not both very athletic guys that are, you know, room for improvement, room for growth? Don't they have similar profiles? They do. Um, they're both young. They both need to add strength. They need to play a little tougher at times. Uh, they both test really well. And Ezra Cleveland, like, extremely well. And that's the difference. Is Ezra Cleveland tests like a freak. His age is super young. So everything points to him being a long-term guy uh, as a tackle. Um, and I'm not sure if, you know, people feel the same about Austin Jackson. If they're going to take him there, I, I think it's because they feel very similar similarly about him. Austin Jackson's a little bit bigger. He has 20 pounds on Ezra Cleveland. He has about an inch in terms of arm length on either arm and was a 93.7 on his RAS, but he didn't mm-hmm. do the the short shuttle and, mm-hmm. and Ezra Cleveland did and he tested really well and he was a 99 RAS. So to me, the athletic profiles are very similar. I think that for PFF, we're just looking at it here, they graded very similarly uh, in, in most ways. So I don't necessarily see the big gap Although Ezra Cleveland did grade a little bit better, that's, I guess that's that's fine competition at Boise State compared to the Pac-12. There aren't very many pass rushers in the Pac-12 to, to talk about. I guess Bradley and I. No, is that Utah State is that Pac-12? Utah. Um, Utah. I don't know. The, I don't know the goddamn conferences. I just watch players. But um, I will say that I'm not trying to represent a big difference between them. To be honest, I think. Cleveland is a second-round guy, and I think Jackson's a second-round guy if I were to give grades. That probably both could go in this mid-20s somewhere, and I wouldn't bet an eye at all. Yeah. So then there's no guards. The first guard doesn't show up until the second, third-round category for Dane Brugler, and that's Robert Hunt. Interestingly, uh, the Bengals had been mocked Solomon Kinley quite a bit in the second round. We talked about this a few days ago. He's got a seventh round grade down with Calvin Throckmorton and and John Runyon. who's a sixth, seventh guy. I just, I I don't know where that, that stuff was coming from. It's very peculiar. Yeah, it is. And you keep hearing about, even on, you know, I'm doing these pieces with the guys over at the athletic and Calvin Throckmorton's name came up a few times from them. I didn't mention him once because I mean, we're talking about a priority free agent, in my opinion. He's a guy that I think his, his, name or or maybe his preseason stock was higher and then he didn't have a very he didn't have a stellar last year his athleticism wasn't great he's older um yeah it, that's a weird one i remember in the senior ball i was thinking oh they got to get throckmorton in he'll he'll help this offensive line that can't handle the the north's pass rush and then he got throttled too all bad big time even in practice that last day when he showed up to replace ben barch he got destroyed yeah so for center, again, no first, second round guys, but he has second round grades on Cushenberry and Ruiz. And I think Brugler is one of the first analysts I've seen that actually has Lloyd Cushenberry ranked ahead of Cesar Ruiz. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I think Ruiz is better. I, I think I do too. So what, we get a couple more second, first, first, second round guys on the defensive side of the ball, though, and Yetcher Gross Matos, AJ mm-hmm. Epinesa uh, as edge players. Marlon Davidson and Ross Blacklock at defensive line. Three linebackers, Queen, Murray, Bond, 
at, at linebacker, obviously. And then Jeff Gladney and Trayvon Diggs at corner with Christian Fulton not on the list until the second, third round. And also there's no safeties until you get to the second round group. There's no first, second, or first round safety grades for Dane Brugler. I'm glad to see that he's still high on Jeff Gladney there as really what's at the third corner. That means he has Christian Fulton way down there. Um, yeah, I I think this makes sense. I think having Zach Bond at linebacker right with Queen and Murray makes a lot of sense. Also, as first, second round guys, that means I think one of them will be there. I tend to think it's going to be Zach Bond, which I'd be happy with. I don't have much interest in Marlon Davidson or Ross Blacklock on the defensive line. I can go without that. I do wonder about Yatur Gross Matos and A.J. Epinesa. You know, maybe the Bengals have him a little bit higher and they see it as a BPA pick at 33. I think it's something we should monitor. I wouldn't be surprised by that either, but I think I've come around to your idea that Zach Bond is increasingly the most likely pick if they stay put at 33. If there isn't anybody unexpected that's fallen, so I could see them going with one of these tackles. Mm-hmm. If If all three of these tackles are there. I could see them going with Denzel Mims for sure. I could see them going with Jalen Rager, who's in his second round group uh, for yeah. Dane. But and and I could always see them going corner because we know that they highly value corners. But I I, I think I'm I'm with you on the interior defensive lineman here, Davidson and Blacklock. While I like Blacklock, I don't like him at the top of round two. So let's say they were to reach into the second round graded guys. Any Let guy me hope in they there. trade back. Well, let's say they don't even. Let's say they just take one. Um, is there a guy that you look at and say, well, I could see that? And I, there's a few. I mean, I could see them going T. Higgins, Jalen Rager. I could see them going Isaiah Wilson. Um, Cushenberry and Ruiz, I could see it, sure. Terrell Lewis, right? Well, that's not off the table at all. So We know uh, they've talked to Matabike. We know that yeah. Akeem Davis-Gaither, if he goes earlier than expected, well, they could be out of luck. They might have to take him if they really want a linebacker. Yeah, and we've talked about the safeties, even though they've added to that position through free agency, they may view it differently. Yeah, so I, I mean, it's an interesting group of guys in the first couple rounds there. I feel like the likely guys from the second round bucket, if everybody, not if everybody, but if some of the players are there from the first, second round group, say it's Davidson, Blacklock, uh, Trayvon Diggs, Jalen Rager, Isaiah Wilson, then I think it could definitely be Wilson or Rager over that group of first, second round guys. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I think if we real quickly look at the fringe guys for pick 65, um, Chase Claypool, Brian Edwards at wide receiver. We talked about Edwards a bunch. Adam Troutman at tight end being the number one tight end for him, right? Yeah, I don't see anyone higher. That's fun. Robert Hunt makes a lot of sense at guard. I don't know if Matt has he makes sense at guard because I think he's definitely a center, so maybe we skip that. Curtis Weaver would be interesting at edge. You see anyone else there? Neville Gallimore, that's quite mm-hmm. late for Gallimore. Christian Fulton, if he's there at 65, I yeah. think we would all be shocked, but that's where Dane has him graded. And then Ashton Davis, Antoine Winfield, I think Winfield between those two might make a little bit of sense because I feel like we have more confidence in him to come and play that slot corner role. Curtis Weaver, though, man, I just don't believe in his athleticism. I, I, th- I think that his athletic limitations are going to be too much in the yeah. NFL. And, and, you know, maybe he's a guy that, like Michael Johnson, had motor, motor questions. Uh, Carlos Dunlap had motor questions. And both those guys shed those labels very quickly in the NFL. Maybe Curtis Weaver does the same. But on top of the motor question I have for Curtis Weaver, I also just don't think that his athleticism plays well. 
So and I also want to make a mention here. So if the Bengals, if all of the linebackers here are gone up until when the Bengals pick at 65, so we got fringe guys and third round guys. Here are the three linebackers in that range. Jordan Brooks, Malik Harrison, Logan Wilson. That's it. So those, if they're going to pick a linebacker at 65, could be one of those three. And and I think I'd be pretty okay with Harrison and Wilson because they're both good athletes. I wouldn't love Jordan Brooks out of the three, but I would also get it, I guess. I mean, he can play in the NFL. He's just playing a different role. So I yep. thought this was pretty interesting to look at because we're about to get our board into this sort of shape here in the coming weeks. Next Friday, I think the plan is to... If we get enough done in the next couple of weeks, we're going to do a live stream. So if you're listening to the end of the show, you now know first that Joe and I are planning to live stream our finishing touches and putting together the top 50 board using some of the methodology that we adopted last year that brings in some of the analytics in addition to a tape grade and tries to wrap it all up into a big board score. Sometimes that misses. But sometimes it kind of highlights some guys that otherwise you might not think about as much. So it is a fun process in that uh, in that regard. But it is important to keep in mind that this is not a tape-only board. This is like a risk assessment style mm-hmm. board. And we'll talk a lot more about that in the coming weeks. Until then, Bengals fans, have a good one. <laughs>